care to explain what's happening, Nick? We were on the motorbike and we're going at about a kilometre, an hour, I guess. Do you want to tell our lovely audience why we're going a kilometre an hour exactly? Well, we just left Fong Na, the town, and you made no effort to remind me we should get some petrol, so we ran out up the road. I'm pretty sure a little lady came out waving at me going, petrol, petrol, and I was like, hey, Nick, that lady's got petrol. Don't you remember that? Nope. So now what's happening? Uh, well, we pushed the bike for a little bit, and then we found a part of the road that was downhill. Um, so, yeah, we're rolling really, really slowly. It's, it'll probably make the most uninspiring GoPro footage of all time. So where is the petrol station, babe? Well, I can't see it now. We can't be that far away either. Are we going to go on an adventure today? Eventually. <laughs> Stop pressuring me. <laughs> Gabby, we've been on the road now for about three and a half months. That works out to, I reckon, probably 15 scooters and motorcycles that we've hired. You would think with that experience by now, I would think to check the petrol. But to be fair, Nick, it doesn't really help if, well, the petrol gauge doesn't tend to work. <laughs> no, that is very true. You, you see how excited I get when the Speedo works and what? the petrol gauge works. Even if just one of them works, I'm thrilled. Hello, you're listening to Where Are You Taking Me? My name is Nick King. And I'm Gabby Lyons. Thank you so much for tuning in for yet another episode. Now we are in the northern part of Vietnam. Of course, if you aren't already, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Where Are You Taking Me Pod. Gabby, where have you taken me and us on this occasion? <laughs> so right now, no doubt you can hear the beeps, the hustle and bustle of the streets below as we are sitting on the Hoan Kiem Lake in the very centre of Hanoi. Now this lake is pretty much where... I believe Hanoi comes to life. We've made a pretty blanket promise that with each episode we would be taking not only each other but you, the listener, along for the ride and take you right into the centre of exactly where everything's happening from whichever country we happen to be in. And for the most part we've, we've tried our best but the sights and sounds and smells of Hanoi are really quite uh, overwhelming. So why not sit right here on the street side, Nick? It doesn't get more Hanoi than this. Uh, this is the lake you're likely to see in many tourist photos. There's a pagoda that's right in the middle of the lake which glows red at night. You'll see that often. If you walk down here in the mornings, you'll see uh, older women doing Tai Chi. Men are playing checkers. And if you come here in the evenings, the same older women are doing Zumba and the same men are still playing checkers. <laughs> it's a lifestyle choice for a lot of people here in Hanoi. It felt like the most natural place for us to record today. In fact, we're sitting on the balcony of a cafe. It's one level up, looking down over the street here. The street is two lanes, officially. Unofficially, it's about six, with a mix of electric vehicles, cars, thousands of scooters, the odd cyclo going past, which is like the Vietnamese rickshaw. Which begs the question, if you're a pedestrian in Hanoi with all this chaos going on, how the hell do you cross the road? My name is Nicola and I'm from Scotland. So I'm teaching English in Hanoi at the moment. I've been here for about three months so far. The roads are pretty hectic, I should say, in Australia. I'll go through some of the rules, if you would like. The main rule is do not hesitate. 
uh, just commit to crossing. If you hesitate, they may swerve and you'll get hit and possibly die. So um, at home, I would wait for the little green man to appear so that I could cross the road. They do still have crossings here that have the little red and the little green man. Does that mean anything? Um, no. It doesn't mean a thing, to be honest. Yeah, red lights mean absolutely nothing here. Direction also, mainly the cars and motorbikes stay to the right-hand side. However, they kind of just go wherever they want. It's usually okay. And it doesn't scare you? Oh, it terrifies me, to be honest. <laughs> Alright, we'll have to give it a go then. Are you going to help me? Yep, definitely. I'll give you a hand. Are we going to die? I can't guarantee anything. Are you ready? Yep, I'm ready. Okay, so just take a look both ways and just start walking. Don't hesitate and keep going. Yep, that's about it. That's about it. Yep. Everyone just went around us. Yep, and everyone will just go around you. Even on some of the big streets, what if you've got, this is only a two-lane street, what if you've got a four-lane street? How do you get across? You just keep walking and they go around you? Yeah, just keep walking. The whole way. They go slow enough here that they should be able to swerve around you. What if you've got a whole class of little kids following behind you? You're teaching English here with some small children. What if you've got to walk all of them across the road at once? How do you get a whole procession of children across the road? That is a tricky one. I think they may kill at least a couple of them. Um, however, <laughs> if there was a whole class of children, the traffic would probably come to a bit of a stop. Okay, yeah. all right. I think you're a professional at crossing the roads in Hanoi. Oh, thank you, Gabby. <laughs> Even after speaking with Nicola and many, many road crossings under our belt, it is no less terrifying. Every time I think I'm going to cross the road, I also think I'm going to die. Oh, really? Yeah, I can say that now we're about to leave the country. You love Hanoi. You've been here a number of times before. This is the one place you've been telling me, even before we left Australia, this is the place you were so excited to bring me to and to experience. Why do you love it so much? This is really a second home for me. Having my family live here for about four and a half years, oh man, it's just the most beautiful city. You are in Asia, there's no doubt about it, but for whatever reason, it feels like you are in Europe with the French architecture of course having been under French colonization for such a long time for near a hundred years in Vietnam northern Vietnam particularly Hanoi feels like little France <laughs> which is beautiful but it still has the crazy hustle and bustle of an Asian city so it's kind of this perfect mixture and combination of both there's a lot going on and I feel like Hanoi is just one of those cities that really speaks for itself it has a whole new bustling culture of the younger generation really trying to speak for themselves and it's still got that beautiful charm of old Asia and the Vietnam you really come to love I think you said it's an active city and I often feel guilty going to bed at 10 or 11 o'clock at night because you can still hear so much stuff going on around yeah. you all the all the things you just mentioned then are very true and are very valid for me personally, um, the thing I love about Hanoi is, well, it's the cheap beer. <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is. The beer here is so cheap. You can wander around town and if you see a sign that says Beer Hoi, that means draft beer. So instead of getting a can or a bottle, it'll be draft in a glass. And you pay about 11,000 dong for the privilege, which works out to, in Australian dollars, about 65 cents. In US dollars, it's just under 50 cents. To buy a bottle or a can of beer, you're looking at anywhere between 50 and 25, so it's like half price beer, how good is that? Plus, when you go and hook into Sin Beer Hoy, it's happening with locals on the side of the street, tiny plastic chairs, which are a little bit uncomfortable, 
there's a plate of peanuts, uh, all sorts of natter going on around you. That's it is the way to drink beer in Hanoi, and you find it here more than anywhere else. I think what you actually enjoy the most, Nick, is that they keep bringing you cups of beer. You never actually finish your beer. You'll be two mouthfuls away from the end of your glass, and someone's already put a fresh one right down in front of you. It reminds me of that episode of The Simpsons where Homer's sitting at the donut-eating machine that just keeps force-feeding him. It's like that with beer, and I have no shame in saying that is probably my favourite thing about Hanoi. But it's not all about beer. Beer is definitely welcomed at the end of a long, hot day. You haven't even mentioned your love for street food mm-hmm. in being here, Ban Mi. i some weird stuff. <laughs> but on top of that, there are markets that you can go to, and it's the kind of crazy hustle and bustle like you'd expect from places like Bangkok. Night markets, day markets, fruit markets, flower markets, whatever kind of market you're after. Plenty of museums if you're up for the Ethnology Museum, Women's Museum, if you need some more war history pumped into you, there's a prison you can visit. But there is one museum, dare I call it a museum, that uh, both tourists and Vietnamese like to visit, and this is the Ho Chi Minh Mausoleum. From the crack of dawn, Nick, people are lined up, sometimes in the thousands, are lined up to visit the embalmed body of Ho Chi Minh. Ho Chi Minh being the man that spearheaded the unification of Vietnam. I had no idea this was a thing. I knew the mausoleum was there. I knew you could go and visit it, but to actually go and cite the body seemed a bit bizarre to me. But as you mentioned, thousands of Vietnamese people line up to do it every single day. Not something we went back for. No. It wasn't open when we were there. I'm probably okay with that. (laughs) The architecture of the mausoleum is actually really quite amazing as well. If you do want to come and see some um, communist history and architecture, I think that's the best place to get it, at least while you're in Hanoi. And just on that note of communism, before we left Australia, I mentioned to you one of the reasons I wanted to come here was to purchase some propaganda art. The propaganda art is the stuff you would see that's it's it's probably most associated with the war that happened here. Essentially, big, bold paintings for the gov- that the government used to get a message across to the people. Quite often it's to boost morale, it's to bring people together, and there's literally hundreds of different designs out there. I like the look of it, but to be honest, I had no idea about the message in some of these posters. So, Gabby, you went along to a local gallery to find out a little bit more. see more of Porter here they says the human like to symbolize the meaning is a save the homeland and save the youth and the woman take the gun and this is a blood to flower uh, it considered like a um, flower national of Vietnam you know in in Vietnam they want to raise the position of women in society in the part also because the women have very important positions in the homeland they they can uh, work, they can take the baby, they can support for soldier. Like in Vietnam, we call motherland, not fatherland, you know. We call it motherland. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's My name is Kim Lian. It's name in Vietnam or China, we have meaning. My Kim Lian means golden low-tooth flower. So people come to the Hanoi Gallery to buy propaganda posters. Why are propaganda posters so important to Vietnam history? Church in the past and now still have, but we we don't have some communication like now, like internet. We don't have, so we use the propaganda posters belong the government, and they made about community party or society. So the when the the authority, the government, want to give the people, the citizens, some information. They made propaganda posters. 
in the past they put in the road. So a lot of them tell stories of the war in particular, and you yeah. have a lot of people come to buy the ones about war. Uh, yeah, I think um, here, it, but more our customer is a foreign or visitor. They want to know more about the war in Vietnam. They they want to get information. The Vietnamese also have but just the old people. They came here to like, recall some memories in the past. Yeah. The cartoon come from the, the US day. Say before that, about 30 years ago, he was a soldier, so he met one soldier of Vietnam. After more than 30 years, he back here and find him and take some picture. Amazing. I have so many customers that back here, maybe every or two years, maybe five years, they still back here and talk about some story. And you were telling me before that your boss has some of the originals and tells you stories of what those posters meant. Is that pretty incredible for you to hear original stories? Yeah, sure. You know, at first I work here, I, I don't think have meaning after your portal. I feel very boring, but after so time, when I know story about I continue finding more information, and it really, really impressed me. And I can connect with the foreigner everywhere. The visitors they come here. Well, I make many, many friends for everywhere, and they really interesting with the porter here, the propaganda porter here. Are you proud of your culture in Vietnam? Yes, I think so. Because um, we have long time in the world, you know, it's um, more than 40 years after that, 1,000 years under the China, you know, the China. So our country now still developing, but I think I'm proud in our country because we have long time in the world. Northern Vietnam for about a month now. Roughly, if you were to look at our map, we've done a bit of a figure eight around the top half of the country, Nick. We started out in Dong Hoi, to Phong Nha, up to Tam Kok and Ninh Binh, way up north into Haizhang, across to Sapa, and then down and finishing here in Hanoi. We were threatened with a typhoon that, well, never happened. No. Um, <laughs> but I've got to say, as far as getting around goes, I think it's been a hell of a lot easier in northern Vietnam compared to the south. Would you agree? Yeah, I'd say so. And we've done all of our transport this time almost exclusively on buses. We often talk about how we get around in the podcast, but I just want to talk a little bit more in depth about buses and how you figure them out in Vietnam because that can be a bit of a trap for people who are a little disorganised. We ran into a French couple on a bus recently who were arriving in Hanoi and then needed to get a connecting bus that night to somewhere else and they hadn't booked anything and they were asking us, where do you go to book? Back in the day, booking online was not really a thing. But now there's a couple of really good websites if you do want to book some bus tickets online. But as much stress to you, you need to do it in advance. So here's a couple of websites for you. The first one is baolao.com, which is spelled B-A-O-L-A-U. The second one is vexeri, V-E-X-E-R-E.com. 
Now, these guys haven't paid us to mention it in the podcast whatsoever, but we found that a really easy way to book. Saying that, though, you have to do it in advance by at least a day or two because they will send you a confirmation and your electronic ticket and all that sort of stuff. That's not the only way, though. And one thing to keep in mind is that not every bus company, every transport option is going to be featured on these websites. Uh, The couple we met, we gave them a couple of suggestions in calling the accommodation you're going to asking them how do I get to you and sometimes they will organize a private company to pick you up. Even walking into a local hostel around town and just asking them, there are so many companies dealing in transport that you're just not going to find online and even if you find the name of a certain bus company and look it up on Google, it's almost like it doesn't exist. (laughs) So don't think these two websites are the only way to make it happen. So the very simple answer, check in with your homestays, check in with your hosts, like anything. If you want local information, you have to ask local people. Mm. It's pretty simple. (laughs) Now let's get out of the city, so to speak, or at least we'll take you, our lovely listeners, outside of the city. While we're on the topic of homestays, Nick, we've been very lucky again to have some fantastic Mm. hosts. (laughs) One in particular that was an absolute cracker. I have to say a massive thank you to Marlene, who we met way back in Borneo, because she highly recommended we stay in a very remote village outside of Sapa and meet a very special lady. Hello, my friend. Now you can see my house to my village. Did you say my homestay, my bungalow? Mm-hmm. And I is my living here. I just do my tour, my business by myself. I'll show you in a village, anywhere. And I will continue. You want to go easy or hard? You can choose. A happy water. Sleep in my homestay. Happy water. Eat up a house. Mohai Bazo. Mohai Bazo, Vietnamese. My language. And what is your name? You have not told Mama me. Mama Gia, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot to tell my name. <laughs> no, I tell my name Mama Gia. Call me. Gabby, Mama Gia was a wonderful host. I absolutely love her. But don't get me wrong, she is an absolute nutter. (laughs) She's crazy. Like in the best possible kind of way. I think I've picked up on some Mama Gia-isms in the sense that I'm now like, yes, okay, okay, okay. (laughs) Yes, if you go and see Mama Gia, you will never forget her. And if she offers you the happy water, also known as the local rice wine, well, don't say we didn't warn you. So, Sapa fantastic place it's somewhere that I've always wanted to go every time I've visited Vietnam never made it but this time it was very much on our priority list it's about six hours northwest of Hanoi likely a bus you can get a train an overnight train apparently quite an interesting experience as well Mm. but you do have to fork out a little bit more for it so if you've got the time the money maybe a little more comfortable than a bus but Sapa is known for its rice fields and they are terraces the terraces you dream of seeing when you come to Asia brightly coloured. We were lucky enough to be there when it was just before harvest season so we got to see the rice in between its green and yellow stages. Really, really beautiful and there are ethnic minorities in Sapa region as well, primarily the Black Hmong people who are known for their colourful scarves, their headdresses. But we stayed in a homestay in a village outside of Sapa town and 
I actually think that was our saving grace in that we got out of Sapa Town. When you arrive in Sapa Town, where the buses will drop you off, it will probably be a lot busier than you expect it to be. Yeah. Looking around the neighbourhood, it's, it's almost a cut and paste of restaurant, cafe, bar, hotel, trekking shop. Restaurant, cafe, bar, hotel, trekking shop. In the last couple of years, the, the tourism scene up there has just quadrupled. It has exploded. Mm. And now it is just full of travellers and hotels and all that sort of stuff. And we were lucky to visit Mama Gia because she took us back to her home in her village, which was about 20 minutes out of Sampa Town, right in the valley, mm. in amongst the rice fields. And that's one of the greatest decisions we've made so far. Yeah. What we heard from a couple of the Hmong women that we made friends with and we spoke with while we were traipsing through some of these rice paddies was that tourism as it's exploded as you said that money and that wealth that is found in Sapa Town hasn't been returned to the villages which is where people want to trek they want to see the Hmong people and how they live but they aren't reaping any benefit so all I can say is yeah do your research find a homestay experience that and give your money back to the people who really need it yeah the sad thing is that as Sapa Town grows and grows further out, that means the villages that were there are getting moved further and further out to the point of some becoming non-existent. So if you are gonna go there, by all means, hit us up on Facebook, hit us up on Instagram, we'll put you in touch with Mama Gia. It's really inexpensive. You can live the way they do. They will feed you a lot of food, a lot of <laughs> rice and wine. I can guarantee you won't be disappointed if you want that authentic Sapa experience. The, the Sapa experience that you're probably thinking you will be getting by just visiting Sapa Town. of travellers that we met along the way, predominantly when we were met on the side of the road on a motorbike, <laughs> we had plenty of travellers telling us about the Haijiang Extreme North Motorcycle Loop. Now we'd never heard about this, but from everything we were told from multiple travellers along the way, they said that this was the greatest thing that they had seen in all of Southeast Asia. We armed an art over this for a while. Like, you've got to travel a fair way. It's going to cost some money to do it. If you want to have a crack, you need to head six hours out of Hanoi, heading north to Hajang, then jump on a motorbike for four days, around about 350 kilometres of varying conditions and terrifying oncoming traffic <laughs> to complete the loop. But if you do do it, what you're promised is amazing vistas, deep valleys, limestone cliffs, rocky escarpments. Like Incredible some of the people. Yeah, incredible people. Some of the most picturesque things you will actually find in all of Vietnam. It's not for everybody. You do need to have some sort of riding experience, but if you feel up to it, you will be greatly rewarded. An extra special thank you to Jack from the UK who pretty much couldn't shut up about the loop. <laughs> but he gave us as well a really great heads up about a hostel out there, Jasmine's Hostel. She gave us all the information we needed and was really on top of making sure that it was the best experience for us possible. But we could sit here and talk about it for ages, don't you think, Nick? Mm, very easily. Hours. <laughs> but instead we decided to outsource this responsibility and introduce you to two other travellers that we met who were riding the loop at the exact same time as us. So they come from totally different backgrounds, different countries, different experiences and different styles of travel. And we want you to hear what they thought of the Hajiang Extreme North Loop. Uh, my name is Christian, Christian Ferdinand. I'm from Germany. I'm 33 years old. 
Well, I went to Hanoi and I thought starting in a, uh, in a backpackers hostel is a, is a good way to find out about trips and adventures you can go on. And I talked to a girl from the States and she recommended that to me. And I love riding the motorbike. I've been doing so for 10 years, so that already got me interested. So I am Zsa Zahorik from Colorado, USA. Nice to meet you. I just graduated with my master's in civil engineering, construction engineering and management. So my dad was in the Vietnam War and was a citizen for nine years. My dad actually fell in love with it and it's like a big deal for me to see the country. I guess fear drove me to come up here, uh, maybe. It's the end of our four-month trip traveling through Southeast Asia, and so um, my boyfriend that I'm traveling with really was pushing me on the extreme north loop, um, and I, I guess, was scared of it, and I wanted to conquer a little bit of fear before we left. Day one of the loop, leaving Haizhang. The route is about 90 kilometers. Most end their first day in the small town of Yanmin. Now, 90 kilometers might not sound like much, but day one can take you at least eight hours, considering the conditions of the roads, alternate routes, and the occasional photo stop. The first time I, I got off my motorcycle was, a, was when a car got stuck. Like five or six Vietnamese people started pushing, and I thought, I gotta help. So I jumped off the motorbike and uh, I started pushing with them, and finally the, the car kept on going. So my first photo was crossing a bridge the area started to get mountainous and there was a river coming downhill and I went back to take a photo. How did it feel when you finally arrived at your accommodation, Yen Min, when you were exhausted after the first day or were you excited about getting up and going again the next day? Both, actually. I was exhausted, but the adventure or the whole, the whole trip got me so excited that I couldn't wait to get on the bike again uh, and keep going. Yeah. What have been some of the challenges on day one? Anything that you didn't expect? Oh yeah, at one point there was a road that didn't exist on our map. I guess I was also not expecting the rural presence um, along the pass. I thought it was maybe a little more tourist driven and that is not the case. And 10 years from now, you'll be missing that rural uh, authenticity. Are you hoping it'll get a little more challenging? <laughs> Um, it was a great day. We're definitely looking forward to more elevation. We want to get colder. We're looking forward to the, the chilly zone, if you will. It's been toasty, and so I'm, I can't wait to lose the sweat and gain the goosebumps. Assuming you didn't hit the rice wine too hard last night, you'll want to be up early for day two. With the bare minimum of another 100 kilometers ahead, most riders split off to visit ethnic minorities and smaller villages along the way. Day two will take you to the very northern tip of Vietnam. I wanted to um, to get going as soon as possible because I knew that uh, I noticed that the people that the Vietnamese people are they're up with first light. I thought that's going to be the um, like the most genuine everyday life that I can that I can see. You went for a bit of a walk around the town of Yen Minh before you jumped on your bike and took off. What did you see? I got I got a little sunburn the first day. So I thought about covering that up with um, long sleeves, and I didn't bring any. And that was my initial, my initial reason to, to go to the market. The market was, was an adventure also because I felt like I was the only foreigner there. And the people looked at me with a, with a mix of being interested and um, confusion. What is this guy doing here and what, what is he looking for? Yep. Yeah, so, so people were curious. Yeah. 
I guess I was expecting a little bit of a topography change, but I didn't really get to witness that. It was more of, it just got more and more epic. I mean, <laughs> really, you're just traveling one over one valley to the next. It just changes so dramatically. Just breathtaking. <laughs> Suddenly, it felt like all of the people and the cultures that you were hoping to see on this trip came out of the woodwork. Was that the same sort of experience for you? Absolutely. I mean, there were so many people that we had never seen. Their, you know, the tribal spirit walking the streets with their rice baskets slung over their shoulders that we ended up turning around and going back towards the market so we could drive through it. And we saw a lot more of those chickens being slung on the back, but there was so much more than that. It was definitely a, a true ethnic experience. And... I mean, there's supposed to be like 50 tribes here and Dragon Mountain, where the North Pole is, um, is supposed to represent those 50 tribal cultures. And it was awesome. At this stage, you've traveled about as far north in Vietnam as you possibly can. But if time and courage allows, there's an opportunity to take one more step. In China. You were in China. <laughs> I was in China. Illegally. Totally illegal. As an alien. We were basically making our way out of a town called Longku and we came across a dirt path that goes through a lot of weeds and some overgrown corn. Ran to the top and found three layers of barbed wire and I thought, oh look there's another path, how about I just follow that? Next thing you're waving at me from Vietnam. And I'm in China. But now you're exhausted. What's happened? Why are you out of breath? Well, on the other side, I wanted to follow the path right down to the road. Got down to the road and it's pristine and white and clean compared to the Vietnam pothole roads. Mm. But there's a sign there that has a skull and crossbones on it and some Chinese scripture. I assume saying, do not cross the border illegally. And just as I was taking a photo, I was turning around to take a selfie with this skull and crossbones. And I heard this huge honk. And we'd been warned that guards do patrol the area. So I just booked it back you, over into Vietnam. <laughs> you legged it up that hill. I've never seen your little pins move so far. So are you okay? I'm sweating. It's cold up here and I am dripping. It was really fun. It was very fun. <laughs> Day three. This is the day most riders are looking forward to. Leaving Dong Van, you'll drive through the Mapi Lang Pass. We were told this is the most picturesque part of the ride. The locals call it Happiness Road. The moment you think you've seen it all and the moment you think, well, that's the, that must be the best part of the whole trip, you turn around the next corner and uh, there's even, even more to see. Like, and it's different too. It's different scenery wherever you go. And I think photos are just... Uh, helping to remember what you've seen. When I walked up this sky path, I was just looking into valley for maybe, I don't know, half an hour. I was listening to some of my favorite songs that I don't listen to very often because I want to save them up, so to speak. And I want to connect them with the, the experience I have. I think it has to it has to sink in. That was actually one of the best parts of the day because it, it was earned too. Like I had to walk up there and uh, where you feel like you're just the king of the world and you you look down and i was the only one there day three was unbelievable it really was we, it took two and a half hours to go 20 kilometers it was so beautiful coming up and over that ridge line and then straight into the valley it was a long day but it was i mean it was phenomenal on average how many times do you think you stopped to take photos um i think we took like no joke 900 photos <laughs> 
And I don't even know how many videos I have on my phone. I mean, we filled up to 64 gigs. So we took a lot. Being on the back of the bike, I was able to like swivel around and constantly take photos. Of day three, can you pick one point that was the most beautiful? Um, I think as we were coming into the town, yeah, Zuzia, just coming over this bend and you look out and there's all of these massive limestone faces that have been faulted out of place. They have all these folds and it's just like unbelievable with this river running through the valley. And I mean, it's like Hobbit's dream, really. It, it was just, it was magical. And then the sun came out too as we were pulling into Zuzia. So it was, it really was just kind of like a welcoming home at its grandest. <laughs> it's the final day of the 350 kilometer loop. Day four comes with some of the most challenging roads yet. They were super bumpy. It wasn't too bad from a perspective from Colorado, given that our roads can be really, really bad. I mean, worse, way worse than that. And so having that experience and exposure kind of took away the edge, like kind of mind-blowing that people like live on these roads and people drive that every day. That was the last leg and you were coming into town. What were those feelings like? Kind of sad. <laughs> we didn't want to end our trip, but my butt was so sore. I mean, I can't tell you all of the muscles on our back and butt and even my head from holding the helmet up was sore. And so getting off, you're like some creature <laughs> coming out. <laughs> As a whole, it was amazing and it was worth every second of every pain that you ever felt, but that was a long ride. <laughs> A couple of people we've spoken to along the way have said that they really have a fear that the Hajiang Loop will become a, the next kind of major tourist attraction. And that terrifies me because I feel like we got to see this really natural, organic way of life. Is that a fear that you have for the Loop? I don't think that many people talk about those challenging moments. I don't really see online on the blogs of people being like, oh yeah, I fell. and Or for example, I saw this girl that had that terrible scrape up her legs and bruises all over the place and it said she was her first time riding bikes. Like I think there needs to be a little bit of accountability. It's a challenge if you've never ridden anything. It's almost impossible on some of those sections. And so, yes, I, I do fear that it is going to blow up. Tourism is going to change change that landscape. Um but I, I think, you know, I have to put the onus back on the tourists. And, you know, if if you're going up there to see something other than that cultural experience, then you're going to the wrong place. In the three and a half months we've been away, this was by far the most incredible, the most breathtaking and the most stunning thing I think we've done. I've never committed to something this big before, something I was so uncertain about and then been so wholeheartedly rewarded by the experience. So much so we pulled in on the very last day and all I could think about was getting back on the bike and doing it again. Already I've sent a message to my dad who is a motorcycle enthusiast and said this is something we should do. I already want to come back and do it again. It was just the most mind-blowing adventure, not only in the sense of the visuals as far as the deep valleys and the limestone cliffs that we've discussed and it, it was breathtaking but I think for me it was the people and seeing all of those ethnic minorities that are out there tucked away on the edge of cliff sides who all smile at you it is it is a very new loop <laughs> it is a very new experience and a lot of the tribes still aren't quite used to our presence but that made it really special really special if you want to get a bit more of an idea of what it was like jump on our instagram page at where are you take me pod or you can find us on facebook as well we've shared a stack of photos there it is so hard to sell this to you with yes. words only the pictures have to be seen to be believed mm. 
my neck. No conversation between us has ever ended well that starts with, so Nick, so what? I may have found the place that I would like to live forever. Again, forever, again. All right, where is it this time? How do you feel about moving back to Fongna? Sure, let's do it. <laughs> if you head out to Fongna, you're probably going out there to see the amazing limestone cave system there. It's home to the biggest cave in the world. Also, another cave you might have seen around called the Hung En Cave. Massive cave, beach underneath, you can camp on it. We saw a couple of caves and they were pretty good, one you were a big fan of. You get to zipline into a cave, how cool is that? That was heaps of fun, but that's not the reason we sort of fell in love with the town, is it? No. <laughs> so although you can zipline into the dark cave, you can go walking through the Paradise Cave and they are absolutely stunning, there's no doubt about it. But truthfully, I fell in love with the Bong Lai Valley for plenty of reasons, namely the wonderful people that we met there, including the fantastic kids that run out into the street trying to stop your motorcycle so that they can just practice their English on you, the wonderful community of people who are so warm and welcoming, the pub with cold beer, which is quite literally a pub with cold beer. <laughs> yeah, the, the name is on the... <laughs> Everything they do is in the name. It's all in the name. <laughs> but especially, I would like to say a thank you to an expat couple that we met at the Bomb Crater Bar, Leslie and Mark, who introduced us to one very special man. Now, Leslie has pretty much mentored a young man named Quinn, helped him with English and helped him start up his very own business, which is now really taking off. And it's called The Duck Stop. Now, a couple of minutes ago, I said that the Hajang Extreme North motorcycle loop was the greatest thing I've ever done. I want to retract it temporarily because the duck stop might just be the greatest day of my life. I had so much fun. Welcome to Duck Heaven, ladies and gentlemen. Right now, we first, we're going to get a hand massage by duck. Yeah. Ready for this, Gabby? A hand massage by Duck? I'm more than excited. Can you see how excited these guys are? This might be a good time to mention I have a slight bird phobia. It's not... It's not... Okay, yeah, I'm ready. Oh my god. So Gabby's got a fist full of duck feed and about ten ducks are just going for it. It just felt like, it does feel like nibbling on your palm, but um, quite rapid. Right now you're shaking the bowl, let you go first. running quack quack. Wait, 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 wait. Why is it important to say quack quack? Quack quack, make you become the duck leader. Go Gab, it's on you. Bend over, bend over, bend over. Bend over, yeah. be more duck-like. Quack quack, say quack quack. <laughs> You like monkey more than the duck. <laughs> right. Great, you are a great duck leader. So is she a 10 out of 10 duck leader or 5 out of 10? How uh, is she's she? 10 out of 10, yeah. She's the uh, great duck leader. You're a great duck leader, Gabrielle. <laughs> Do you feel you're powerful, yeah? Uh, I feel more confused. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you want to see Donald? Donald? The buffalo named Donald Trump. The buffalo named Donald Trump. Well, obviously. So where are we going? Um, we're going to meet Donald Trump. Oh, you are going to 
Mount Donald Trump. <laughs> why, why is this something that we do on our vacations, on our travels and our adventures? Why is it the game of let's make Gabby do ridiculous things? I've also just had ducks clamour all over me, Nick. What have you done today? Talk to people. <laughs> just taking a short stroll now out to uh, Mar-a-Lago, which is Donald Trump's resort. Just a short distance from the duck stop. Where uh, the lovely Master Crin has built Donald Trump a nice big swimming pool. What can you tell me about the attitude and temperament of the Donald? He doesn't actually do much. He just like hangs around and uh, what we do get from Donald is a lot of shit. Okay, now tell me about the buffalo. <laughs> you can see me coming. He looks a bit pissed off, I'll be honest. <laughs> can you not? You're not helpful at all. Oh my word. Hey, buddy. Oh God. <laughs> wet, wet. Two hands here. Okay. Gab, tell me about where you are and what you're doing right now. I'm currently on um, the bare back of Donald Trump, the buffalo. <laughs> How's that working out for you? Well, I just got whipped in the back by his tail, so you know. Um, how are you going to get down? I hadn't thought of that yet, actually. <laughs> <laughs> the duck stop is a lot of fun, especially if you have a partner to act as your guinea pig. Behind the duck stop is a young and charismatic entrepreneur. At 20 years old, Quinn is just becoming a man, but as a teenager, he had a simple idea and he wasn't afraid to have a go. Uh, when I start when I was uh, 17. 17 years old, what was your idea? Did you think you would just set up somewhere for tourists? Um, I just want to set up the like funny farm and interesting with the like Vietnamese farming and people come here, stop bikes. What was the first year like? Uh, the first year is like uh, quite hot, like uh, we just have three or four guests every week. And how many visitors do you get out here a day now? Uh, around 30 to 40. Did you ever think you'd get that many? Uh, I I did not think I got that much uh, when I set up the business. Yeah. You have another job as well. What's that? Uh, I am the waiter for the uh, one of the luxury hotel in Phong uh, River. Do you think there'll be a day when the duck stop can be your full-time job? Uh, it's will be soon. Yeah, we got. Uh, like what's the best thing in your life if you know already know your passion know your road and you achieve your dream so you just live in your dream and uh, keep it up are your parents proud of you uh, yeah they do and uh, I'm so proud of myself as well do my work well and duck stop provide like the job for member in my family uh, before they uh, they do to work hard and very hard with the like they do like uh, higher job and now they just be in a duck stop and my mom my aunt can be the chef and my dad just take care of the garden take care of the animals and me and my brother we can take people on a uh, duck tour and my cousins they come over and helping me to serving food and serving drink I can see their future very bright they learn English and they're very young so you've created a business that not only supports you but employs your family exactly, and teaches exactly, all the young kids exactly. in your family to, to learn English exactly exactly that's why I don't want anything else I just I'm happy with that see greatest day ever am I right
it was pretty cool. <laughs> a big thank you again to Leslie for taking us out there. She insisted we went. If you go as well uh, to Phong Nha, I recommend you go out there. Grab one of the pancakes that his mother makes. They are the best Vietnamese pancake I've had, and I've had plenty of them. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> the duck stop, an absolute must-do if you're heading to Phong Nha. And have a chat with Quinn. He's super cool. He's really energetic, and he's so, so proud of what he's done out there with the duck stop. But Nick, we are running out of time, as per usual. But I wanted to pull a few questions on you. We've been in Vietnam for two months now, which is quite an extended period of time when you are backpacking. What will you miss the most? Food. The (laughs) abundance of food. You can get food everywhere. You can have six meals a day and it's still so cheap. And not every meal we've had is great, but the ones that have been exceptional have been so good. And what won't you miss? Crossing the road. (laughs) You've really struggled with that, haven't you? Funny, it gets harder and harder the more beer hoy you have. You think that it increases your confidence, but it doesn't. <laughs> now, I, crossing the road is, is a difficult thing, that's for sure. But I also won't miss um, maybe the chaos, the honking. If you've listened to the whole episode now, you would have heard the amount of honking that goes on all mm. the time. Not going to miss that. And lastly, what will you come back for? Seriously, there's still places I wanted to go that we yeah. didn't get to. 100%. There's yeah. another massive chunk to sort of the southeast of Vietnam, but we just didn't get to this time. We talked about going there, but we just flat out ran out of time again. In hindsight, though, that's a good thing because now I've got something to look forward to to come back. Yeah. And what about you? What are you going to miss the most? Vietnam in general. I quite literally, I could live here. I it's really, the vibe, really could. Isn't it for you? Yeah, I just love it. I absolutely love Vietnam. It's just such a massive country that I think three months still wouldn't be enough. Yeah, look, we've spent two months here, and if I was coming back, I seriously would look at maybe a six-month stint, do yeah. some English teaching, and really get off the road, go see some rural stuff, and see what you can do to help the community in that way. Yeah. find in Hanoi, you may not have expected to find a jazz club and a sensational jazz club at that. The music you are hearing now was recorded live at the Bin Min Jazz Club in Hanoi. It's fantastic. Yeah, if you need your jazz fix, it is the epitome of smoky jazz club. To where are you taking me? I'm Gabby Lyons. And I'm Nick King. Thank you for joining us. Listen to our episode from North Vietnam. I'm glad we could finally complete the Vietnam North South episode equation for you. <laughs> for more, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Where Are You Taking Me Pod. Seriously, though, if you like it, please hit subscribe, leave us a review, share it with the ones you love and even the ones you hate. So from here, we are heading to Myanmar next. And at this stage, we have no idea if we will be able to bring you a podcast due to the political unrest in the country, but we will try our very best. Plus, we already have a really great pun up our sleeves for the title, so... I'm just on that. Congratulations to you. You came up with the pun for this this episode. You dreamt it, even. You didn't just think it. It came to you in the night (laughs) like a spirit. But unlike you, I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) No, you should. Many people said that was the best part of our last episode. Thanks for listening. Bye. Make a wish and so high and far to the 
to the air and let your duck land into the water like a professional helicopter yeah honestly the duck they are the birds they now fly and they are fucking love it <laughs>